You are listening to Raices Verdes, a platform dedicated to validating, archiving, and sharing the experiences of people of color and other marginalized voices in connection to the environment. My name is Samara, and I acknowledge that we are recording on both the traditional land or on the traditional lands of Coast Salish people, specifically the Duwamish people in so-called Washington State. And actually, our guest today is joining us through a phone call, and they are located in ancestral lands of the Anishinaabe people or multiple tribes forming so-called Michigan State. So I'm really excited for today's guest. I've been trying to get her on here, but you know, she just is so important. She doesn't have so much time, but um, a little bit about our guest today. Mia is a nursing student at Michigan State University who also studies sustainable agriculture and food systems. In her free time, she likes to volunteer, garden, read, weightlift, try new vegan foods, and spend time with loved ones. She is passionate about fighting for racial justice and exploring the intersections of food, environment, and health. Hey, Mia. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no, thank you for you. I know we had to figure out like the time zones and everything, but it's all good. <laughs> yeah, not my strength. <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm really not waking up at six in the morning to do this. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, oh, you can just call me in the morning. I'll be up at 9 o'clock. <laughs> like, uh, you're behind me, not above me, in time, or forward in time, or whatever, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Well, I guess just to check in, how you doing? How's the day been going? I'm good. I am coming off of a really stressful week, so I'm still decompressing, but I'm blessed and happy and healthy, so that's all that matters, I guess. Right? Cool. Well, I guess, as always, to just, you know, have the listeners get to know you a little bit more, what would you describe as your green roots, um, you know, your connection to the environment? How would you describe that? Um, it's like kind of a hard question for me because I feel like, on one hand, it's very spontaneous. I kind of just woke up one day and was like, I love the environment and we need to protect it. And I have to focus on my work around environment more. But other times when I think about it, I kind of look back and think about how happy I was as a kid being outside. And I think that, like, my age group, we were kind of one of those last generations where it's like, Mm. you just went outside all the time. So I think it kind of starts there. Um, A lot of my family uh, events and interactions we do outside. So every summer we go swimming and we do barbecuing and canoeing and things like that. I think that really contributed to my background. Um, and also that's just where I feel my happiest, my healthiest, my safest, a lot of times when I'm outside. Like, uh, it's definitely something that I've developed over time. So maybe five years ago, you couldn't really get me to take a nap outside in the grass. <laughs> but, you know, this summer, I would kick my feet off, I kick my feet off, kick my shoes off, put my feet in the grass and lay down and take a nap (laughs) because that's really what made me feel my best so yeah I think my green roots I think as I grow um they'll become more discovered like I'll be able to look back and say oh hey you know I've had this interest or I've been passionate about this for a long time now or I felt really comfortable in these types of environments I just I'm just not very aware of it now right well it's exciting you know to like just see it grow and like I'm really excited to know you at this place and then like later in your life see how that has developed yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I am super excited about today's topic to kind of wrap up, wrap up like this little segment that I had going on on health. And um, today's episode is focusing on institutionalized food systems, hospitals, and the environment. 
So I think, again, just so uh, listeners get to know you a little bit more, how are you involved in both the medical field and environmental field? Like, tell us a little bit about your education experience or kind of what you're doing right now. Okay, so um, I'm a nursing student, as you said in my intro. I'm a senior, so I'm about halfway done with my nursing program. Um, I'm really interested in preventive health care. I'm really interested in community health care. That's kind of where I always see myself landing. So, yeah, I want to work at a hospital for a while, but looking towards my long-term goal, that's not necessarily why I see myself right now. Um, Just because I don't feel like I'll be able to do the work that I want to do in the medical field if I'm just um, constrained in the hospital, in the hospital system. Um, I'm really interested in uh, women's health care, family, children, babies. I wanted to be an OBGYN, but I was like, I don't want to go to medical school. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it just didn't align with the life that I saw for myself. And there's just personality differences between um, what's expected of a nurse and what's expected of a doctor. I felt like nursing reflects my personality better. Um, and then in the environmental field, a lot of that, my background comes from my food work. So my freshman year of college, my second semester, I think I was just looking for an elective class to take, and I came across a sustainable food systems class. So crop slow science class, just an intro. I took it, went in there, went to the first lecture. wasn't expecting much because I just was very curious. But after that first lecture, I kid you not, I was like, this is my minor now. I'm taking all these classes. You know? That's awesome. This is what I'm really interested about. And I was one of the only students in the class that had any type of healthcare background. There's a few, like, dietitian students. But it was really exciting for me that, you know, I could be paving a way for other students who have a health background but want to learn about the different intersections. Because everything is interrelated when it comes to healthcare. You know, your housing, your education, your food, your income, you know, all of those things impact your health and healthcare providers need to form better relationships with people who are in the environmental field, in food systems, in law, in education, because we need to know how we can make the world a better place through our partnerships. Right. No, absolutely. And I think, um, that's like something we definitely have to like keep an eye out for the future is like, how are we intersecting those two things? Right. Um, so I guess for people, again, that might have not heard this term before, especially if they're not really involved with the medical field, what are you defining as hospital-based food system initiatives? Okay, well, I think that's something I made up. <laughs> okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's but, true. We talked about this, how you tried looking up research and it was hard. So then tell us this Mia, you know, thesis going on. <laughs> Yeah, so there is limited literature out there, but um, hospital-based food systems is kind of what it sounds like. So hospitals are forming stronger partnerships within the food system. So to me, that looks like supporting local food, farming on their campus, um, having food pantries on their campus, supporting food prescription programs, um, just taking a hard look at the fact that hospitals have tremendous purchasing power. I think I read somewhere that they are like the fifth in um, food systems, like that their purchasing power. So, you know, if you think about hospitals, they're open 24-7-365. They take, and this goes back to, you know, the environmental impact. Think about the energy it takes 
to keep hospitals going 24-7-365, these huge buildings, you know, it, it, it puts a tremendous strain on our environment. So, um, and, and with that is food. So hospitals inherently in hospitals, people that work in hospitals, providers, they are meant to do no harm, right? So if you are, and the special thing about hospitals compared to other institutions is they have an ethical and moral responsibility when it comes to their businesses, the way that other businesses don't. So I think specifically about hospitals because of one, their, their buying power. So are you going to be supporting local food or are you going to be supporting industrial food systems? Because industrial food systems impact environmental health and that goes on to impact human health. So when we start seeing a rise in obesity, asthma, hypertension, certain cancers, you have to start tracing it back. Like what is happening in our world, in our environment that is contributing to these human health impacts, right? Right. So with a hospital... Um, based food system, you're looking at different ways that hospitals can engage in local food. So does that look like growing some of it on your campus and having patients and community members engage with it in a therapeutic manner? Um, does that look like supporting farmers within a hundred mile radius of your hospital? You know, this is going to impact the local economy. This is going to impact local communities. So with hospitals being you know, having the power that they have in communities and just within our society, um, I believe that they have an inherent responsibility to, like I said, do no harm, but also to serve as leaders, right? Right. When you think of a a doctor and a nurse, say we are in a privileged position of advocacy. People trust us. We have unique training, unique backgrounds, and these interprofessional relationships that I believe, you know, we because we're in this privileged position of, you know, within these professions and within these, in academia and, you know, so on, that we should be advocates. But what I was talking about with my, one of my advisors is that we can't advocate what we don't know. So if you have all these people, nurses and doctors and so forth, in this privileged position, but they don't know what a food system is, and they don't know where their food comes from, and they have this disconnect between human health and nutrition and environmental health, that's a big problem. So I'm hoping that, you know, through my work that I can inspire other people that are healthcare providers and not healthcare providers to think about all these intersections and how everything is very much related. Right. No, definitely. And I feel like um, it just comes down to how individual individualized our systems are because then you only get to see one thing at a time and you also only care about, like, individual health, right? Not, like, community health or, like, not about, like, all these things working together, like making sure that your health um, correlates to the health of the environment and so on. So I think it's it just really shows how individualized everything is in our, well, specifically in the U.S., because we know some other countries are doing alternative things, but it's very much a global thing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess, which communities do you think um, these alternative food systems and hospitals are supposed to serve the most? Um, in a perfect world... It would be the communities that are, quote-unquote, the most vulnerable or disenfranchised or just the communities that um, are most victim to the circumstances around environmental racism, 
from the apartheid. Um, it really depends. And this is a, a problem that I've identified is that there's a lot of fragmentation. So I just read a literature piece that said there's 110 hospitals with gardens and farms. But that was from like 2010, 2010 data, right? So I think it's reasonable to assume that there's been more over the, you know, the, those, the, um, these 10 years. But, um, yeah, that, it, it's hard for me to say. Uh, the, the hospital that I was at that had farms, it was in a community that we, our focus population was working class people. Um, so some food programs, they look at like emergency food programs, and that would be people who are in most immediate need. But what was unique about this farm is that it targeted people who were working class. And it really got me thinking, like, you know, if there are people working at that hospital who are eligible for these services, and I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a significant amount of American workers who are working one or two jobs, 40, 60, 70 hours a week to support their family. But all it takes is one crisis, one pass-through bill, one inconvenience where you, now you have to choose between medication and food, electricity and food, right? Right. So um, I guess the best answer to your question, it would need to be in communities that are most affected by food apartheid, environmental racism, pollution, and who are disenfranchised. Right. Um, is that, tr- you know, to be true? I'm not sure. I would have to, you know, really be engaged with where these hospitals are and then their local communities. But oftentimes, hospitals, it either goes one or two ways. They're, especially hospitals that are affiliated with academic institutions, they are planted right in the middle of communities and they have all this wealth and power and resources. And then that surrounding community is impoverished, disenfranchised. So, um, or the hospitals are placed in areas that are very um, economically privileged. So I'm curious. I, I think it really depends. Right. Because I'm wondering too, like like how you were saying, like what do you need? I don't know if you would know this this answer, but just thinking about like what people need to have health insurance to be able to like access these like food system initiatives or would they need to like, you know what I mean? Like I was just thinking about that because we know that like a lot of like low income, I mean, people of color or like obviously undocumented folks sometimes too like cannot have access to health care. So like would they be disqualified for like these food initiatives? You know, so I don't know. I feel like these might be things you do know. Maybe you don't. But just wondering about that, like how certain communities of color would be able to access these um, benefits or not. Right. Um, all of that is very complex because then it leads to questions like, okay, do they are they aware of these services? Right. Do they have the transportation for these services? Can they understand what these services are and that they're available to them and that they're free? Like, are there language barriers? Are there cultural barriers? Right. So um, the health insurance thing, I that depends because there's um, emerging programs like prescription for health, for example. So it's literally where your doctor or your nurse practitioner, whoever your provider is, they can write you a prescription for fresh fruits and vegetables if you have some type of diet-related illness, like heart disease, obesity, diabetes, certain cancers, and you can take that prescription somewhere. So there's different models everywhere. Mm. Sometimes they literally have a, a prescription program in a hospital and then also a food pantry, like all in the same campus. 
sometimes you can take that prescription to farmer's market and they'll give you tokens and, you know, now you can buy fresh fruits and vegetables. There's a lot of different programs. Um, and it's exciting. There's um, new policies. Like, this work is going to shape policies. So a representative from Michigan, um, Debbie Dingle, she went and wrote into the Farm Bill, which is one of maybe three of the most important agricultural bills, in my opinion, um, when it comes to human health. The Farm Bill is an enormous document, and it affects millions of people. Um, and what she did was she wrote in stuff about the prescription for health into the Farm Bill. So now more hospitals and community centers and people doing food-related work, they can they now have the funding and support to uh, expand this program to all 50 states and to many different communities. Wow, yeah, that's really amazing. I didn't know about this um, food prescription program, but that's really great. Um, so I guess in terms of like your definition, hospital-based food systems can look like these prescriptions that you talked about, um, community mm-hmm. gardens at the hospital. Are there any other examples that we've missed? Uh, the food pantries, so now hospitals are starting to have food pantries. Um, some hospitals are starting to do medically tailored meals. And from what I know about medically tailored meals is, well, my limited knowledge on it, um, they started, there was a group out, I believe, in California, and back during the AIDS epidemic, they started providing medically tailored meals for people with HIV AIDS because uh, because of that debilitating condition, they have different nutritional needs. And really, any disease, you know, there is no uniformity. Like, you're going to have different nutritional needs based on the individual and then based on their disease and other uh, parts of their health that impact. So, um, they started making these medically tailored meals and it was showing that it was, you know, helping these patients stay healthier um, and have a better quality of life. And back during the AIDS epidemic, if you had HIV AIDS, it was terminal, right? Right. much different than where we are now. So I think that, um, and I, yeah, like I said, I think this was about the 80s, 80s and 90s. So like I said, since the AIDS epidemic has become less of an epidemic and now more of a chronic health condition, they've now transformed the medically tailored meals and focused it on um, just people who are susceptible to diet-related illnesses. So again, your people with heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, um, Wow, so I'm getting off track. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so medically tailored meals. Um, we talked about the, the prescription. Um, there's things called farm to fork. So that's kind of what I was talking about before. Like local farms um, produce food to be distributed within hospitals, mm-hmm. within their cafeterias, to their patients. But that, that in itself is very complicated because hospitals feed hundreds and thousands of people a day. So it's hard to, to rely solely on local food. Right. And in a lot of hospitals, it's not realistic, but it's a start. Mm-hmm. Um, there's farmer's markets. So the hospital that I was at, we had a farmer's market in the hospital. Patients oh. would come down. Their families would come down. Um, we had nurses and doctors and med students. They would come by. Um, there's CSA programs. So CSA is community-supported agriculture. So community-supported agriculture, you basically give startup money to a farmer so they can buy their seeds and supplies and pay their workers and then you get a cut of the harvest for you know x amount of weeks right i so definitely we have, have heard program. about one more yep um in the hospital that i was at the farm had a subsidized dsa we got a grant you know, like forty thousand dollar grant 
and that helped to subsidize the CSA boxes for families with children who had uh, who met the requirements. They probably had some type of health problem, or they met um, they had some type of economic or financial need. So that was amazing. I, that was that just tremendous to me mm-hmm. that a family could get healthy um, foods. That's what I agree. I mean, think about, especially when you have children in the home, like, I have a lot of people, even myself, who say, I can't cook, or I don't know what that food is, I don't know what the vegetable is. Right. You know, I eat out every Mm day. So, you know, we're really breaking, you know, these generational things. And I think, you know, not to get off on a tangent, but (laughs) I think what's fascinating the most about our food system, about our industrial food system, is how relatively new it is you know yeah definitely 50 57 years in the making that's it that's it you know so a lot has changed but because the system is so new and because it's failing and people say the food system is broken i say it's functioning how it was designed to be functioning oh absolutely Um, because it's part of the capitalist system and capitalism is working just fine it's making all of us miserable (laughs) right and again with capitalism that's also kind of a relatively new thing in America, this this economic system. So definitely. Um, you know, because these these things are and that is ingrained in society and in the economy as we think, that gives, you know, some hope that, you know, we can turn things around. Right. And like you said, we still have generations of people that like we're living differently um, or remember what it was like to grow up differently, right? And not rely on just, like, fast food and, like, someone else, like, producing your food. So I feel like as long as we do some intergenerational learning where you, like, bring grandparents into the um, learning with, like, children, then I feel like you can definitely keep passing those older, like, systems of food down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess, like, kind of as we started getting into the topic of, like, policy and just, like, you said the system's relatively new, do you feel like the um, initiatives that you were talking about in hospitals, are they a reformative solution, according to you? Are they just like a temporary solution? Or do you think this is a pretty revolution solution that could like sustain us for a while and kind of solve our systematic food crisis? Hmm. Well, um, very true to my brand. I'm going to go ahead and say it's all three. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I'm, I'm an indecisive queen, but... Um, I mean, I can give reasons as to why it is all three and why it's, you know, why one is and why one isn't. Yeah, um, a temporary solution, perhaps, because, you know, for example, what I was saying about how, you know, hospitals need to meet certain demands. So, you know, they can't, it's just not realistic right now for every hospital to adopt certain measures of local food, right? But for the hospitals that can, it will be more than a temporary solution. It will be reformative, right? Um, I think the one that I think it is least is a temporary solution. I think especially if we are supported by policy, if we are supported by community members that we are in the privileged position to be serving, if we have our providers and our nurses and doctors and everybody else in between aware and uh, ready to be advocates, it will be more than a, a temporary reform, right? Um, there are issues that come up with these hospital-based food systems, and I think the biggest one is what my advisor helped me realize was that, you know, are hospitals in the best position to be doing these things, right? Because hospitals at the end of the day, hell, at the beginning of the day, they're businesses. Right. They're going to put their economic, whether it's a, a not-for-profit hospital or 
community hospital, whatever it is. At the end of the day, everybody got to get their cut in a capitalist society. So even though we have this moral and ethical responsibility to care for people, that's great and all. And that's the world that I want to see, the world that I want to be in, the type of nurse you know, environment that I want to work in. But we need to be realistic that we do live in a capitalist society and that neoliberalism has impacts on healthcare and has infiltrated healthcare. Absolutely. So, um, you know, are hospitals in the best position? Because you're saying, you know, and this is why I really question this work that I'm doing, because on one hand, it is great. And I've experienced this by working at a hospital, at a farm, and I thought, every day the difference that it was making but in the grand scheme of things should we rely on the same businesses that benefit from systems of oppression and racism and disenfranchisement should we depend on them to help us you know meet certain needs and certain goals damn i feel like i'm gonna have to put like Sorry, I was just gonna say, I'm gonna have to like put that on like repeat like two or three times. I feel like that was such a powerful statement about like whether we should depend on the same thing that like, you know, oppresses you. Like I feel like that was really, really powerful. Yeah, it's it's something that I've really been thinking about lately. Um, but at the end of the day, hospitals need to be held accountable. Every business institution they need to be held accountable because you benefit from my community, you're going to help my community. And that's just the way that I see it. So I think that we're headed in the right direction. Um, You can't expect big system changes overnight, but this is one of the little building blocks that's going to get us there. Right, definitely. Wow. So I guess what do you see then, um, like yourself, either yourself as as a nurse or just the other people that you're working with? Like, what do you think is their, um, the work that they should be doing moving forward? Um, everything starts with education. And I don't mean in a college classroom. I mean talking to each other, sharing ideas, sharing books, sharing articles, um, doing the work, volunteering, engaging with your community. Uh, one of the tactics of white supremacy and oppression is just, indiv- just being individuals, right? That... Um, the effort that white supremacy has of keeping us alienated from each other and from uh, other groups around us, that is how they keep us disenfranchised. That's how they keep us in a position of disadvantage. So just talking with each other. I have a healthcare background and I like to farm and I care about nutrition and I care about the environment. And sometimes I'm alone in that. There are times where I walk into a room and I talk about food systems and people are like, what's a food system? Right. Mm-hmm. And these are the people that, that are in charge of our health. They don't know <laughs> about nutrition. I remember reading an article about med students who had, who failed a simple quiz on nutrition. You want to know why? Because they're not required. Uh, look, I had a pre-med roommate. I sat down for two hours and I made a four-year plan for her. And I helped her pick out every class she needed to take from start to finish. And nowhere on there was a nutrition class. I suggested it. I think I, I probably wrote it in there, but <laughs> it was not, it's not required of her, right? Right. And it's so interesting to have you on the show, too, because the last two people that I interviewed, my two friends, um, Danny and Liana, about, like, them also being in the medical field, both of them also actually have a nutrition kind of focus, which, but again, I feel like you three as, like, you know, women of color, as, like, just 
med students are like the exception because they also were not required to do nutrition, right? Like they just happened to find a program that included nutrition in it. But again, that's not the norm. It's just the exception, really, which is really sad that you three are like exceptions to this rule. And then that puts back the burden, right, on like women of color and just black women like to do this education work. And like you said, you end up stepping into a lot of spaces alone. Right. But you know what? It's a start. And um, that's something that I really had to learn about myself this year. I think because I've grown into my womanhood <laughs> with self-esteem issues, you know, I had to really tell myself every day that I'm special and I have a voice and I need to use it. I am standing on the shoulder of giants and they did not do all this work. They did not struggle to survive so that I can be quiet about the things that I'm passionate about because I'm afraid or because I don't have the self-esteem or the confidence needed to use my voice. But all that shit is to the... Oh, I don't know if I can curse on this. I have <laughs> You <laughs> but, can. You know, I don't that, care. <laughs> oh, good. Because, you know, I curse like a sailor. You know me. But, <laughs> you know, all that shit is besides me now. You know, like you said, if I'm the exception, I want that to change. I don't want to be the exception. I want anybody who is interested in making the world a better place and making the community stronger and healthier and happier, you know, it starts with education. It starts with learning from each other, learning from our world, and slowing down. It's hard to engage in things and notice things when you're always go, 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 right? And that's another feature of the capitalist society, that we're always on the go. We never have time to stop and think. Right. No, one of the more powerful things, like my mentor also in college told me was like, you know, they like keep us busy and all these committees and like all these other things so that we don't get to like come together and imagine a different system. Because if you're constantly like busy trying to fix this system, you know, whether it's capitalism, whether it's like white institutions, like you're always going to be busy and not be able to get together with like other radical folks and be like, okay, let's imagine something outside of this, you know. So I think that's important too that like even though you're doing this really beautiful work, at the end of the day, like I don't think, I personally don't think it's our job to like fix this like messed up food system right because like especially as like people of color you know as marginalized communities like we didn't come up with this mess we didn't like impose this shit so i feel like realistically we need to like invest also time in like imagining something outside of this and really going back to like ancestral knowledge to like push outside of this you know right absolutely but you know if not us then we will because i'm not gonna rely on my oppressor to free me no absolutely not yeah which again we go back to it's really hard because when we are in academia um, you're just like exhausted all the time and you just have to like keep up and do the most whether it's scholarships or you know we're doing internships or whatever to just like even meet the minimum requirements right yeah and you know we're in spaces that were not made for us that do not want us to be there like in academia uh, we get these passion projects so my passion project is diversity I want to increase diversity in nursing and I hope that those who come after me you know, but they follow my footsteps of having different interests. When I, My freshman year, when I said, yeah, I'm going to minor in sustainable agriculture, I didn't have a lot of support. People were like, what does that have to do with nursing? And you know, nursing is a really difficult program. You don't have time for that. <laughs> and I said, okay, watch me. Watch me. Because I'm not doing this to say that I'm doing it. I'm not doing it to add to my resume. I know this program is hard. I don't have a social life and I don't have no money. <laughs> I'm always studying. So you don't got to tell me anything I don't know. But what I do know is that I care. And that's enough. 
that's enough for me. I care. And I'm going to speak up. And I'm going to teach myself. Right. Damn. I love that. I just love you, Mia. I, like, admire this woman <laughs> so much. She's such a badass. Such, like, a revolutionary woman. I'm truly amazing. Um, oh, do you have any you. closing thoughts on that? I mean, you already gave us so much, like, to think and process. But, you know, do you have anything else to add? I have one last thing. There is a tweet from <laughs> someone named Dr. Jonathan Rosa. So for some scholars, mass incarceration, educational inequity, edu- addiction, homelessness, border policing, etc., are abstract concepts, whereas for others, they're embodied in the close family, neighbors, friends, and it shows in the stakes, urgency, and empathy that characterizes their work. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that for like a month now. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, not only do we have to study these things and the roots of it, but we also lived it. Which again, like my mentor, the same one that I mentioned earlier, also said, you know, like it's really hard to, when you get to name your pain and name the trauma you've been through, whether it's like poverty, oppression, it's really hard because once we find out those words, we don't just like study the theory of it. We like realize that that was what we were living through, right? Or we're still living through. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I am no stranger to hunger, food insecurity, no stranger to poverty, state sanctioned violence, you know. So to some people, it's like, oh, she's a nursing student doing all this other stuff. How cool. But to me, it's like, this is my life. I, I And getting an education is a privilege. It's one of the greatest privileges I'll ever have in my life. This, this education at this institution. So, you know, I'd be damned if I don't use it to share my story and share the stories of others and, and do the work. Right, definitely. Well, thank you again, Mia, so much for being so inspirational, for giving us so much to think about. And I'm really excited for readers to connect, you know, and like, especially if there's folks out there doing medical field that like come across this, like I hope they really take this to heart. But with that, thank you again for listening to Raices Verdes. We are a podcast for healing our relationship to the earth as people of color. And to stay updated on future episodes and connect, um, we are on Instagram, Nuestras Raices Verdes, website, NuestrasRaicesVerdes.com. And you can listen to all the episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and tune in. Thank you.